The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to In Veritate on the Restoration Radio Network. In Veritate is a show containing sermons solely by Bishop Donald Sanborn and I am your host Matthew Arthur. We are pleased to present In Veritate free of charge to our listeners by the grace of sponsorship of Most Holy Trinity Seminary. On this episode, Bishop Sanborn will be discussing patience and anger and the epiphany. And now we present In Veritate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today in the epistle, St. Paul urges us to patience, and our Lord in the parable also urges us to patience. St. Paul urges it as one of the great Christian virtues which depend on charity. Indeed, patience with the faults of others is very much a part of fraternal charity. And our Lord urges it in the gospel as a form of prudence. The parable refers to the Catholic Church, and in this case he is saying that it is more prudent to tolerate sinners, that is the cockle, in its midst in the hope of converting them. And so we see in the Catholic Church a mixture of both holy people and sinners. Patience is a bearing of evil in order that a greater good come about or in order that a greater evil be avoided. But the object of patience is some evil. What is opposed to patience is anger which is the repression of evil by some punishment. Anger can be either justified or sinful, according as it is in accordance with reason or not. We should not think that patience with the faults of others is always a virtue. It is sometimes necessary to use anger in order to correct these faults or in order to assure the common good. So a parent must occasionally show anger towards his child or a judge must show anger in handing out a sentence to a murderer. In such a case, patience would be against prudence. But anger is the exception, and patience is the rule. Patience is necessary for eternal salvation. St. Paul says, For patience is necessary for you, 
that doing the will of God, you may receive the promise. That is, eternal salvation. St. Peter says, For this is thankworthy, if for conscience towards God a man endures sorrows, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if committing sin and being buffeted for it you endure? But if doing well you suffer patiently, this is thankworthy before God. For unto this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile, when he suffered he threatened not, but delivered himself to him that judged him unjustly. It is impossible, furthermore, to lead a Christian life without patience. We are constantly buffeted by sinners in this life. Think of all the ways in which you have suffered at the hands of others through envy, jealousy, criticism, fault-finding, detraction, calumny, and hatred. Often we are the victims of cheating, of lying, and of theft. Then there are the temptations which we must bear with patience, those from the world, those from concupiscence, and those from the devil. Then there are the many physical sufferings to bear, from disease, from poverty, from the weather, from earthquake, from famine. There is much mental anguish to bear. Think of those who suffer from mental illness, which is one of the worst afflictions in this life. There is much to bear in family life, the faults of one's spouse, the burdens of raising children, worries over finances and one's job. Many suffer intensely from separation and divorce. There is much to bear from loneliness, that which is found in the single life, and especially from those who lose their spouse to death. Old age is fraught with suffering, both physical and mental suffering. All of these things come to us directly from the original sin of Adam and from the actual sins which we and others have committed. God created man in a paradise, and it was man that messed it up by his sin. Our lot is one of suffering in this life as a direct result of sin. It is not God's fault. He is often blamed for suffering in this world. Many say, I would believe in God if he did not permit so much suffering. The only time certain people mention God is when they curse him for permitting suffering. 
it is not his fault. He intended man for a paradise. But we often think that God should still provide this paradise, even though we are the ones who have merited its loss. There are great examples of patience in the gospel and in the lives of the saints. If we look through the four gospels, we notice the mildness that our Lord uses with everyone, including his apostles, who are so ignorant of what he is saying that occasionally he he says, will you not ever learn? But he is patient with them. He is patient with all of the people who approach him for, for miracles. And this patience is particularly evident in his passion. Look at the apostles. Consider the tremendous sufferings they endured by the preaching of the gospel and finally by their martyrdoms. St. Paul's life was one continuous suffering. St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, all the things that the world loves, such as delights, honors, praise, and riches, are for me a cross. And all the things that the world considers a cross, I approach and kiss with great affection. St. Romuald was accused. He was the founder of the Carthusians. He was accused by one of his monks of having committed an abominable sin with him. He was condemned in a public chapter as deserving to be hanged and burned. Because of this calumny, he was forbidden to say Mass. And he bore all of this in patience, although he was almost 100 years old. St. Teresa of Avila said, Since the Son of God obtained our salvation through suffering, he willed to teach us that there is nothing more fitting than suffering to give glory to God and to sanctify our souls. She also said, speaking to God, You repay with some tribulation, O Lord, him who does for thee a service. What an inestimable reward this is for those who truly love thee if they knew its value. St. John Chrysostom said, If God grants to you the gift of raising the dead, he would be giving you much less than when he permits you to suffer. St. Aloysius Gonzaga said, There is no surer way to know that one is a saint than to see him lead a holy life and yet suffer desolation, trials, and tribulations. St. Vincent de Paul said, If we only knew the precious treasure hidden in infirmities, and by that he means physical infirmities, we would receive them with the same joy with which we receive the greatest benefits, and we would bear them without ever complaining or showing signs of weariness. All this points to what we call the economy of salvation. 
This is the economy of salvation. By sin we have merited a life of suffering upon earth. It is the debt that we must pay. By the suffering and death of Christ, we have been freed from sin. We obtain salvation and freedom from sin and its consequences through suffering in this life, in union with the sufferings of Christ. And so the crucifixion of our Lord was not, so to speak, a free ticket. Rather, it enabled us to use the sufferings which are the effect and punishment of sin for our salvation. Because all of the human suffering in the world would have been useless in this economy of salvation without the intervention of God to lift it by his sufferings to something meritorious. It is for this reason that the sufferings of Christ, the crucifixion, is the center of our faith in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. If we do not understand this basic fact, we do not understand the Gospel. This patience that we must practice begins with the little things. It must be practiced the entire day by means of bearing the little crosses that come to us many times a day. For example, behind the wheel. It must be practiced in the day-to-day long-term sufferings of our lives, the faults of our spouses, of our children, of our friends and relatives. It must be suffered and practiced in various diseases and pains and infirmities we have, whether physical, emotional, or mental This is especially true of those who are in their later years. We must also consider the infinite patience of God with us. How many times, for example, have you confessed the same sin? Consider then the number of graces that you have received in order to repent of these sins. And now consider how many times you have squandered these graces by committing yet more sin. And from that we understand the patience of God. Consider the patience of Christ in coming into your soul and body in the Holy Eucharist. Now unless you are a saint, Your soul, although in the state of sanctifying grace, is nonetheless disordered by much venial sin and excessive attachment to created things. And so you come with this disordered soul 
and receive the Holy Eucharist. And God wants you to do that. We come to Him, as it were, with a messy and smelly house. But our Lord wishes to come and dwell in it. That is the patience of God. Patience must never be a cloak for indiscipline. But it is nonetheless the norm of our daily conduct. It is a sin to tolerate what must not be tolerated. This is not patience, but negligence. In this way, Christ did not tolerate the pride of the Pharisees, but he excoriated them to their faces on many occasions and said horrid things to them because they deserved it. Nevertheless, it remains true that our first inclination when evil is inflicted upon us by others or by life in general, must be one of patience, deeply convinced by the Holy Gospel of the necessity of suffering which we must bear in union with the sufferings of Christ. No saint was ever canonized whose life was characterized by a constant vindication of his own rights, by outbursts of anger towards sinners or enemies, by acts of cruelty and severity toward those who trespass against them, or by exacting the exacting of strict justice from anyone who did them harm. Instead, when we read their lives, we marvel at their patient bearing of these wrongs. Their lives were characterized by what St. Paul says pertains to the elect of God. He says it in today's epistle. These things pertain to the elect of God. Mercy, benignity, Humility, modesty, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If any have a complaint against another, even as the Lord hath forgiven you, so do you also. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We would like to remind you that you are listening to In Veritate on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and I am presenting sermons by Bishop Donald Sanborn on the subjects of the epiphany and patience and anger. We want to remind you that In Veritate is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. And now for the continuation of In Veritate.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. This Feast of Epiphany could be described as the Feast of Truth. These wise men studied the Hebrew Scriptures, even though they were pagans, probably Arabians or Parthians, and are aware of the coming Messiah and Savior of the world. This was a common theme at the time before our Lord. The Jewish literature was very, very assertive about the coming Messiah, and it was read by many pagan peoples, and even Rome expected a savior of the world. The old religions were becoming obsolete. People were no longer believing in them, and they were seeking something that would be deeply truthful and would answer their questions. And so it is not surprising that the Magi were looking, nor is it surprising that they were looking at stars, because at that time people thought that stars ruled the earth and that one could find out what was about to happen by the study of the stars. They realize that humanity is in need of a savior, and that it cannot lift itself out of error and sin without a Savior. They travel many miles across the Arabian desert in order to see the Christ child. And they make an act of faith in him. They bend the knee, as it says. They kneel down in front of him, adore him, and give him gifts And this they do because they are seeking the truth. They come this long way because they are seeking something immaterial, which cannot be felt or touched or tasted. They're looking for the truth. It is the most important thing in their lives. More than any other natural craving that we have is the craving that we have for the truth. Man's highest faculty is his intellect and hence his highest perfection is the possession of truth which satisfies his intellect. More than food or even lustful pleasures Man wants truth. He wants to know what is. No matter whether it is the highest truths of either philosophy or sacred theology, dogma, or the lowest and most insignificant truths, like who won the football game? We want to know All of man's senses, his touch, his sight, his hearing, everything is to feed him truth. And these senses operate incessantly in order to provide information to the intellect about the outside world. We don't realize how much we desire truth. Man's intellect is naturally gifted with reason, furthermore, 
And so we ponder and think about the truths that come into our minds. Proof of this is the amount of information that is produced every single day. Think of television, for example, sitting before the television. Why do people sit in front of a television to feed their intellects, even if it is with garbage? And most of what is on television is garbage. They want to feed their intellects. They, they want to watch, a, for example, a soap opera, which is so stupid and many times dirty. But they want some sort of information coming in. It entertains them. Otherwise, their intellects are, are completely starved. Look at libraries. Look at the Internet. Look at magazines, all of the flood of information that comes out every day. Look at universities and schools. Think of all of the time that people spend going to school. They spend perhaps a, a fifth or a third of their lives going to school. And we, the, the human mind has to be constantly satisfied. And if our imaginations are operating at night, we will have a dream and the intellect will be quite pleased, unless it's a nightmare, quite pleased to have this information going on. It, it, is, it is happy to receive information. We do not realize how much we crave information or gossiping to have that tidbit of information. So it's like a, a piece of candy. And so sometimes we think that food is, is, a, is a great need and, and represents a great craving. It does. Or sexual pleasures. They are nothing like the appetite of the intellect. Man seeks the truth. And he seeks, above all, the high truths. The truths that rule his life and his mind. Those are the things that he really seeks. And everyone has an ultimate set of truths in his mind. Whether he is a great saint, or whether he is a great sinner, whether he is a heretic or an apostate, or a man of great faith, there are a set of ultimate truths in his mind that direct everything. Now man lost the truth with the first sin. Adam and Eve had the gift of freedom from ignorance, a wonderful gift, by which they had a personal infallibility and a deep knowledge of supernatural and natural truth. But by believing the devil and by disbelieving God, they called down upon themselves a terrible curse, the curse of ignorance. And so the human race sank into ignorance, sank into superstition and the worship of animals and idols, pagan gods, sank with all of this, of this falsehood into indescribable immorality, disease and filth. All of that, the effect of the ignorance, the curse of ignorance upon the human race. Read, read ancient history, the, the, the various things that human beings worshipped, 
cows and snakes, even flies. They, some people worship flies. How ignorant the human race is. And we should not kid ourselves into thinking that we have in some way shed this ignorance in these times because we are living in the times of, of ever greater ignorance than the worship of animals or anything like that because we are living in the times in which there we believe in some psychotic system, that's the only word for it, psychotic system of evolutionism whereby order and reality and being come from nothing. This is the modern mythology, which makes the mythology of the Greeks and Romans look good. It is far less psychotic to think of Jupiter and Venus living in Olympus than it is to think that a fish could become a frog because he sees the shore. That's crazy. And yet the whole human race functions upon this insanity of evolution because it has the curse of ignorance upon it. And it is ever more ignorant because it is rejecting the truth that these magi found in the stable of Bethlehem. The ignorance of our age is a post-Christian ignorance and an ignorance that is ever more evil because we have been shown the truth. Our Lord came to witness unto the truth, and I said this to you in my last sermon. The first step in the redemption of mankind is to give man the truth. And this is why we teach you your catechism before we bring you to the sacraments. Our Lord said before he died, sanctify them in truth. Thy word, speaking to his father, is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the father but by me. He said to Pilate, for this was I born, and for this came I into the world, that I should give testimony to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate responds, with a flippant answer, but a very significant answer. He says, what is truth? And here we see the contrast of the city of God and the city of man. Here, these two things met God and the devil, so to speak. For the modern world makes the same reply to our Lord Jesus Christ. The modern world has completely blinded itself and dulled its appetite for the truth by an unprecedented indulgence in material goods and sexual pleasures. Those things, indulgence in those things, dull the mind. Even worse, it has refused the possibility of truth by adhering to subjectivism and relativism. The highest truth today for the modern world is that there is no truth. That it all doesn't matter what you believe. 
especially concerning religion. There is no freedom of mathematics or freedom of physics or freedom of biology or freedom of medicine, but it proclaims a freedom of religion, religion which is the most important thing that you know. Uh, In all the other sciences, there are dogmas. But when it comes to religion, you are off the leash. Religion being the only thing that will lead you to eternal salvation. All of those other sciences that you learn will be lowered in the grave with you and dirt will be thrown upon it. They will all disappear with you. And their only use is to build up the material world and make it more comfortable. But in that which is most important, you are confirmed in a freedom of ignorance, for that is what it is. Freedom to be ignorant. Freedom to err. Freedom to fall into the pit. And this we consider one of the great freedoms of our society. In fact, it is one more mythology that the modern world embraces. The greatest virtue today is to adhere to no truth and to say that it does not matter what we believe. We saw this recently with the Novus Ordo Cardinal Dolan, who on the one hand said, Obama is declaring war on the Catholic Church because of his stance on contraception. Then he was seeing talking and chatting and laughing and eating with Obama a few weeks later. Why? Because the truth doesn't mean anything. It has no teeth. And that's virtue. That's pluralism. Pluralism is the highest truth for the modern world. And you, you must subject everything that you believe, no matter how firmly you think it or believe it, to pluralism, which destroys all of its effectiveness, ruins all of its power. It all doesn't matter. And for that you are canonized by the modern world. The modern abandonment of truth and the modern indifference to the truth, especially to the doctrine of Christ, is contrary to the most fundamental purpose of both the Incarnation and the Redemption. It is truly an apostasy. Listen to what what Pope Pius XI said concerning ecumenism, which is merely the same thing applied to the Catholic faith. (coughs) Referring to ecumenical meetings like Assisi, he said, Clearly Catholics cannot approve of these undertakings in any way since they are based on that false opinion of those who think that all religions are more or less good and praiseworthy, sounds just like Ratzinger, all of which, although not in the same way, equally manifest and attest to that innate sense which is implanted in us, sounds just like John Paul II, by which we are drawn to God and to the devout recognition of his sovereignty. Those who hold this opinion, Pope Pius XI says, this is 1928, not only err and are deceived, but also since they repudiate the true religion by distorting the notion of it, 
gradually turned towards naturalism and atheism. For this reason, it clearly follows that whoever adheres to such things or takes part in their undertakings utterly abandons the religion revealed by God. How stronger could he get? How more clear could he be that ecumenism, which is merely pluralism in in religious things, is the abandonment of the religion revealed by God. And yet, this is what is given to us in our local parish. In contrast to what Pius XI said, Paul VI said at the end of the council, the last address to the general council in 1965, referring to secular humanism, he said, the religion of God who became man has met the religion of man who made himself God. And what happened, referring to the council, was there a clash, a battle, a condemnation? There could have been, but there was none. Those are very significant words. Because truth by its very nature expels the darkness of ignorance. There should be a clash. There should be a battle There should be a condemnation when truth meets falsehood. Why was there a battle between St. Michael the archangel and the devil? Even in nature, in the spring, shortly, when the warm, moist air of the gulf comes up and meets the starkly cold and dry air from Canada, what is going to happen out in those great plains? There is going to be a violence. And people will die as as a result of the violence between those two opposite things that clash in nature. And so truth and falsehood, and particularly religious truth and falsehood, clash. And the church has always condemned and done battle with falsehood, heresy, And Vatican II is an abandonment of this war of the church upon what is false. An abandonment of her sacred devotion to Christ the truth. Her spouse. He also said the modern world's values were in the council not only respected but honored its efforts approved, its aspirations purified and blessed. Words of Paul VI, the modern world's values. This is, was like taking a huge hypodermic needle with poison in it and injecting it into the institutions of the Catholic Church. And we have seen what has happened since 1965 the total destruction of our faith in all of these institutions, infected as it is with this religious pluralism and this friendliness to the modern world's values, naturalism. And what has happened? This little chapel and this little group of people are the faithful remnant of what was once a magnificent structure. 
our adherence to the truth is more important than the preservation of our lives. This is why the church has martyrs and why these martyrs are placed in their relics upon our altars. We must love the truth as the Magi did. Seek it, adhere to it once we know it, defend it, and die for it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for joining us on In Veritate. If you have any questions for Bishop Donald Sanborn or feedback on this episode, please contact us at inveritate at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to Bishop Sanborn. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful or beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even simply an Ave for our work the next time you pray. For The Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.